hate you. You're, you're not a comedian. You're a terrorist. This time I was right. They had you're no never right. Even when you're right, you're not right. Everybody gets screwed, buddy. Everybody got shit upon, got bad breaks. That is part of the business. That is part of life. You took every bad break you ever got and you made it worse. You gotta burn your bridges behind you and under you and in front of you. Every bridge. But in my whole life, I listened to your bellyache about your luck. Well, you are where you are because of who you are. Hello and welcome to the Lone Acting Nominees Podcast, a show where I'm joined each week by a guest to discuss a movie that only received one Oscar nomination, that being for one of its performances. We'll talk about the performance in question, the movie as a whole, and its place in the Oscar race, among other things. I'm Gordon McNulty, and this week I'm joined once again by Andrew Carden to discuss David Pamer's Oscar-nominated performance in the 1992 film Mr. Saturday Night. Andrew, good to have you back on the show. Great to be back. Yeah, so uh, uh, tell me a little bit about why you picked this movie, what your uh, history with it is. So it's interesting. I've only seen this movie once prior, and my memories of it were were very negative, I have to admit. Um, I had seen this many years ago. I must have been 10 or so, honestly. <laughs> I must have watched it with my parents or my grandparents or or something. And I was just struck by how dreary the entire thing was. And how unfunny, for the most part, it was, which was just shocking since it was a Billy Crystal vehicle and he was so terrific in so many other films. And of course, the Oscars and Saturday Night Live and so on. Uh, But what happened was last year, there was, of course, a Broadway musical version of this. And I went to see it because I, of course, wanted to see Billy Crystal live. And I have to say that I think that the Broadway musical is much more satisfying than the film. Um, that would make sense. He really, yeah. yeah, he really fix a lot of the issues. Uh, and it's a much more likable character. And the female characters in the musical are much more sharply written. They're than... actual characters, maybe. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and it was just a lot of fun. So I was curious to revisit this having just seen the musical and knowing that I really disliked the film the first go around. And I have to say, I still don't love the film, but I would say I have more mixed feelings on it at this point. I think that a lot of people at the time were really critical of the film because Buddy Young Jr. is such a unlikable and kind of despicable character. But when I think about it a little bit more, I think that that's very much purposeful and that wasn't by accident i think that billy crystal was inspired by comedians like jerry lewis who actually appears in this film who had very different on and off-screen personas where jerry lewis and buddy young are very charismatic on the screen and very irresistible but off-screen like everybody knew that jerry lewis was a total asshole and terrible to his family and to his friends and everybody around him and was really pretentious. So I think that that's what Billy Crystal was aiming to convey. And I think that people really weren't expecting that or ready for that. And that they were expecting just a very likable, charismatic, 
you know, all around endearing guy, much like, you know, Harry and when Harry met Sally or some of his other um, characters. That being said, I still think the film is more of a misfire than a success. I don't think it's particularly funny. There are some gags that made me chuckle a little bit, but I don't think it's that sharply written. And again, I think the female characters are so thinly drawn and that becomes very frustrating. And I think perhaps the biggest problem of all is the makeup, which I think is just dreadful, but it's also so heavily used throughout the film in all the present day scenes, you know, he's just pancaked with makeup and David Pamer's pancaked with makeup and that becomes a huge distraction. So not a film that I love. It's a film I, I would say I, I even barely like, but I appreciate it a bit more now than I did then because I think I understand what Crystal's intent was. I just don't think that he was all around successful in making it happen. Yeah, I agree with you on a lot of those points. I like especially with the point that like the character being an asshole is the point of the movie. I just don't necessarily like my issues with this movie. I I think maybe even come down on it more negative than it sounds like you did. Uh, aside from Pamer, who I do think is pretty good in this. Um, yeah. uh, I just generally did not find a lot to like in at, like at all with this one. This is my first time watching it and uh, probably my last. Although who knows, maybe I'll revisit it years from now and I'll have a greater appreciation for it. I did read some of the reviews for the the musical and it did seem like that was better and there's i think or at least there was i don't know if there still is but like a, a streaming version like a filmed version of that that i yeah. was i'm interested in maybe checking out to see a better version of this story um but yeah no this wasn't a movie i was particularly taken in by uh and i'm excited to be talking about it just to like unpack whatever i just watched like I, I don't know. This will be an interesting one. Uh, so we're talking about Mr. Saturday Night from 1992, directed by Billy Crystal, written by Billy Crystal, Babalu Mandel, and Lowell Cairns, stars Billy Crystal, David Paymer, Julie Warner, Helen Hunt, Jerry Orbach, Ron Silver, and Mary Mara, with cameos by uh, a bunch of stand-ups, including Jerry Lewis, like you mentioned. Uh, also, I wrote down, because he didn't show up in like any of the cast credits that I wrote down, but for like 10 seconds at the beginning of this movie, you got Richard Kind, and that was exciting yeah. for me to see, hey, Richard <laughs> Kind's in this, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, completely gone from the rest of the movie. He just was there for like half a scene, but uh, always nice to see Richard Kind. Um, it premiered September 12th, 1992 at the Toronto International Film Festival, uh, and then opened in the US just a couple weeks later uh, on the 25th, and was a box office bomb. It made like not even a third of its budget domestic or something like that. Like it made like 13 million off a what? 45 million budget. Yeah. It was, an like that. it was an absolute disaster at the box office. And, you know, it was distributed by Columbia, which this year had huge box office hits. They had a league of their own. They had a few uh, good a men. Good men. Yeah. Um, so as soon as this tanked, they pretty much kind of wrote it off in terms of Oscar prospects except for David Hamer. Yeah, yeah. And, like, 
rarely have I come across a movie like this that you can so clearly tell the person behind it, Billy Crystal in this case, is like, this is going to get me an Oscar nomination. And is like, so he's really trying for it in this one. Like, the last maybe 20 minutes of this movie is just like back to back monologues set to Mm -hmm. like slow, inspiring music of Billy Crystal saying a lot of stuff about being in the entertainment industry and like the drive you need for it. And it is really just like shameless Oscar bait in the truest sense. It was almost kind of funny just to like witness it to that degree. Um, but before we talk and, about, oh no, sorry. and it's none of it. None of it is sharply written. Oh no, it's really and bad. the entire time you're just staring at whatever is going on with his face. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a real. I like I, I would encourage people to just like seek this out for the sake of seeking it out. But like, it's not anywhere. I had to I had to buy this movie on iTunes for 13 goddamn dollars. Like there have only been two movies so far that I've covered in the hundred some episodes that I've done uh that like I wasn't able to find either streaming or through other means and ended up having to rent like full stop. And it's this and Saratoga trunk. And like <laughs> if that isn't an indictment of the the money that I'm investing into this podcast, like might need to rethink some things if that's anyway um uh, yeah before we I, talk... I wonder if that's i don't wonder if that's on purpose i i wonder how fond billy crystal is of this now or if he kind of wants it to be somewhat buried because this has never been an easily accessible film or a film that's really um you know aired on tv that much it was I'm really so... just buried at the time and has really never been revived except for the broadway musical but that didn't like result in this huge revival of the film itself. It wasn't, you know, showing on TV or streaming anywhere. It has always been incredibly hard to track down. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't get like a, uh, uh, some sort of like streaming re-release at the time of the musical. And I'm just now remembering as I'm saying this, as I'm talking about having to spend $13 on this, I own this movie on DVD in like a double feature thing with Lenny and I spent $13 for nothing. I I forgot that I owned it until literally right this second. Wow. Um before we get into Billy Crystal uh cuz I feel like a lot of what we're going to be talking about is Billy Crystal cuz like how can you not? Like it's he's the writer, director, star. He's this is like a capital B Billy Crystal movie. Um but before we get into all that, let's talk about our nominated performer here. Let's talk about David Paymer as like the classic put upon brother uh uh like put upon agent following mm-hmm. around just you know doing whatever the the tempestuous main character wants uh how do you feel about this performance what what are your like initial thoughts on him here i think Paymer is great and i think david Paymer is just a wonderful character actor who's never been anything less than memorable yeah, uh, I think it's perfect and inspired casting. And I think you you know within the first 10 minutes that he is going to be the MVP of this. Because um, they have that, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a great scene, but a, a compelling enough scene at the deli early on where um, David Hamer's character, Stan, is just kind of explaining that, you know, he's really, he's he's tired, he's had enough. 
he's really sick of his brother's nastiness and the craziness, all of which he's had to clean up all of these years. And the way that Crystal films Pamer, because there's this actually really great shot of Pamer just standing outside in the rain when he departs the deli. You can tell that Billy Crystal knows that he's capturing the performance that's going to be remembered from this film. And I think that Pamer's not only able to juice whatever life there is in the script, but very much rise above the script and deliver something that's really uh, vivid and meaningful. And it's just a quintessential scene stealing, long suffering sidekick slash family member sort of role. And you leave the film thinking much more fondly of him than anything that Billy Crystal did. Because what Billy Crystal is largely doing here is a lot of kind of heavy handed, showy, over the top work. Pamer's much more reined in. Um, and it's just a much more nuanced and convincing and I think thoughtfully constructed performance than what his co-star is doing. Yeah. I think that anytime they're on the screen together, even if Billy Crystal, which is what he often does here, is just kind of shouting or mugging or whatever, just the reaction of David Hamer to him is so much more compelling than what Billy Crystal is doing. So I think it's a very well-deserved nomination and while this film isn't great i do think it's worth checking out at least once you know for that performance because it's a very good one yeah like to jump around uh, for, like to the very end of the movie like i said the ending of this movie is just a lot of billy crystal speeches basically but there's one in the middle of, of that that's the pamer speech where he's like finally speaking like finally standing up to his brother after all these years and he's like you know, tried to get out and gotten reined back in and pulled back in all these times. And this one, he's like, finally, like, I've had enough. You keep doing this. I'm out. I'm out for good. Uh, and it's a speech that, like, works in the midst of a bunch of speeches that just don't work because Billy Crystal is just, like, in over his head, which, like, because he's having to play dramatic and he's also, this is his directorial debut so he has that going on and it's like he's just biting off more than he can chew with this it feels like uh and so a lot of those speeches near the end feel really crowded and feel really like well what is he saying in this one that's different from the one that he just said that's different from the one he's about to say like these all run together it's just kind of the same thing but Pamer's one sort of like monologue that he has does actually work for the character and does feel like an actual person saying things to a person and not just you know reading inspirational quotes off of a script um and yeah like th this is a movie where nobody really feels like a real person everyone just yeah. feels like oh this is some sort of thinly veiled pastiche of this you know actual person or this like type of character that shows up in this type of movie and Pamer you know doesn't not feel like that like the, his role is a role that has been you know portrayed in all sorts of movies that follow this general structure but Pamer doesn't ever feel like he is just coasting through off of like you get what this character is like, like he feels like he is still conveying a, a humanity to this man that is like still loves his brother and still you know wants to help him and be around him but 
can't stand him at the same time. And that's a that's a tough thing to play, especially when you're playing against this character, this over the top, just like irredeemable asshole that Billy Crystal's playing. To make a- any of that work is like extra work off of Pamer's back to like carry a dynamic that in theory should be impossible just based on the scene partner like nothing against billy crystal as a performer in general but like this character is nothing is is terrible is is just like <laughs> what if we made a movie about a guy that sucks and for yeah. david Paymer to like have you feel any sort of like transient sympathy for him because Paymer has sympathy for him because his character like still loves him like that that is an immense talent that Paymer brings to this to make us feel any sort of anything for for buddy uh yeah there are moments where he's able to kind of bring out some humanity in crystal i think that the scene of them strolling through central park is quite good um i, I enjoy the more lighthearted moments and i think that they ring reasonably true as siblings. And I think that they have a nice enough chemistry. Um, it's just that what, what, what Billy's doing here is just so obvious and decidedly not full of surprises. Yeah. I mean, this is just, it's a very predictable, again, just makeup heavy, sticky performance. Um, and yeah, there is the big scene where they have kind of their blow up um, I think they're on a stairwell at the end and, um, you know, Stan's lashing out at Buddy and saying that, you know, he's not a comedian, he's a terrorist and he can't believe that he sucked him back into all of this. And again, I think that Pamer is just so much more convincing and compelling than Crystal, who's just kind of bumbling and really over the top and just just not doing particularly great work here. Um, I'll also say, I think that Pamer is very good um, in the earlier scenes too, I think, um, you know, the scene where um, Buddy convinces Stan to get the the Julie Warner character to to see him backstage and just that whole experience, I think that Pamer very much conveys the frustration and it definitely feels like this isn't the first time this has happened. This is probably something that he's had to do constantly and that he's just so sick of it and it's so it's just so demeaning to him and he, he so wishes that you know he could have you know something like that because he and julie warner have a wonderful chemistry and really hit it off right away but of course he has to pass her off to his brother and you know that of course will dog him for many decades to come yeah so. that's once again another like something that as presented in the movie is just like an impossible task to make believable because the way that scene is framed, she's just a woman in the audience and we have to feel sympathy for Stan because he also thought she was attractive just from like, not in, he like drew a bunch of pictures of her during the show, which is weird. Mm. And yet we're, we still find some sort of sympathy for that character because Pamer takes the impossible task of, well, you're also kind of being a creep to this woman you've never met by drawing a bunch of pictures of her and then feeling resentful that you don't get to be the one that flirts with her. And yet you still feel like 
a genuine sympathy for him of like just being put upon by crystal and by circumstance and like there's heartbreak in that scene that maybe shouldn't have heartbreak the way that it's presented like in the actual script of it but Pamer brings just like a there's just like a weariness to him he he's a he's an actor that's very good at playing pathetic um Mm. I'm I'm trying to think he's the one in Ocean's 13 that like the whole con is that they're giving him the worst time at this hotel, right? It's like the hotel. <laughs> he might be. I I haven't seen Ocean's Thirteen, so I can't say it's, for sure. <laughs> it's better than better than twelve, worse than eleven. It's like solid <laughs> in the middle, but I'm pretty sure he's like this hotel critic that is supposed to be doing this, you know, sweep of Pacino's hotel, and so as like a side thing to their con they are like making sure he has the worst possible time at this hotel. They're like, I think they like spray something into his food that makes him sick. And they like (laughs) mess up his room and they put like cockroaches into it or whatever. Uh, And just the whole time there's this subplot to this heist movie where you're just watching David Paymer have the worst weekend of his life. And then it ends with, um, they're at some airport and Brad Pitt is like, hey, David Paymer, you know, put some money into this coin like uh, a casino machine. And he wins like two million dollars. And it's like, <laughs> hey, here's your uh, 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 thanks for being a good sport for not knowing that we were secretly making this hotel experience miserable. But like he's just an actor that's very good at playing that sort of put upon sad sack. He just has like a quality to his face that is very just like, you know, I I don't really, he's just like, like a, a a resigned sigh of a man. He's very good at playing that type of character of like, (sighs) Oh, well, and that's what this character is, but there's more to him than, than that. There is exactly a, like he has to be that and also still have a love for his brother that keeps like drawing him back, even though he knows that it's just a recipe for disaster. Uh, but he can't just cut him out of his life because he's still he, he's like the one person that will put up with this man. And he feels some level of like protection towards him. And you get all of that in what is ultimately a kind of underwritten character in a kind of underwritten movie uh, that there's still that level of pathos to him that yeah. I think Paymer is, yeah, it's a very good performance in an otherwise, I would say, very bad movie. Uh, but it is worth maybe watching if just for him. For sure. I mean, this character could be so one note with a lesser actor, but he manages to instill a humanity and a vitality into him that I think few others could. And again, I mean, I think that I think a great scene, which is a lot different than others, is when he has the opportunity even to dance a bit with Julie Warner. And he just has this really enchanting, charismatic presence about him, um, which, of course, completely flips just minutes later when he has to introduce her to his brother. Um, So I think that he's able to bring a lot of range into this character that wasn't there at all on the page. Um, I mean, I think Hamer's just somebody who delivers every time he's on the screen. He's wonderful in Quiz Show. He's yeah. terrific in The American President. 
Um, and I will give Billy Crystal this. Um, no other filmmaker has given Pamer this sort of opportunity, this sort of juicy scene stealing Oscar caliber role. What's the matter, buddy? Having a bad day? <laughs> a bad day? Today, I'll tell you this. It's actually, it started last night, folks. I had a little fight with my wife. Nothing serious. Three police cars. I'm going to tell you folks what really happened because we're friends now. Last night, I come home. I found my wife smooching and kissing with my best friend. Yeah, so I said, Lenny, I have to, but you... <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I just imagine that Billy Crystal, while filming this, must have been so delighted by what he was capturing. But I wonder how delighted he was by everything else that was happening. I yeah. wonder if he see the issues happening or if he was just oblivious and thought that he had a surefire hit on his hands. Who knows? I mean, he seemed um, to be a good sport about it, kind of. Right. Doesn't doesn't he have some like sort of self-effacing line because he hosted this year? Uh, and he, he has something yeah. in the opening monologue about, I can't remember what it is. He, he jokes about Mr. Saturday Night being like the sixth best picture nominee. Oh, right. And he's just like, <laughs> well, I want us to know what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this... I think he's, he's done interviews since. I think he was on maybe the Mark Marin podcast or somebody else's podcast in which he basically talks about, you know, that, that this wasn't well received and that he's always wanted to go back because... He wants to kind of tinker with things and that it would have worked beautifully as a musical. And ultimately, I think he's right. I think this actually does work a lot better, oddly enough, as a musical on stage, kind of a splashy thing than it did on the screen. So because this film just it looks very drab. It's not yeah. it just doesn't it, from, from a crafts level. It just doesn't look great. The production designs feel and this is such a, an expensive film. And I have no idea where that money went because, again, the art direction here just isn't that great. The cinematography isn't that impressive. Like, even the costumes are kind of drab looking. It's just, it's very curious where all that money went on this, unless it was just Billy's salary. <laughs> it very well might have been just like placing it in time in his career and like also with him as director and uh writer and actor like he has a lot of creative control and who knows if a lot of that was just like well i'm gonna pay myself a lot of money for this i'm gonna make sure i get paid a lot or whatever um i mean the budget on this thing was 43 million which must have been one of the most expensive films of 1992 yeah it must have been pricier than most action films um it, it must have been among at least the top 10 maybe even top Five priciest films of this year it's just really unexplicable because had this just been you know a 15 20 minute 20 million production it would have basically broken even and not really been such a huge bomb but in the end it was a massive massive bomb yeah i mean like you can see why like a movie like this especially if people want to go see oh billy crystals playing this comedian and you see on the poster he's like young and he's got the big smile and he's got the scar and he's doing the pose and it's like oh we're gonna watch him you know playing this you know mean sort of uh, uh like don rickles type uh, heckling the audience or whatever and then you get into the movie theater and it's 
two hours of mostly Billy Crystal in terrible old age makeup, just walking around being mean and oblivious and just like the worst. Especially in 1992, people expecting a Billy, like following up City Slickers with this, just, I, I can see why this is such a failure. Like I can, I, yeah. I it's don't not like the audiences. Audience it's not like audiences flocked to this. It wasn't like number one and then just tanked after this movie. Just tanked out of the starting gates. Like there was yeah. just no interest. I don't think the trailers did any favors. I think that it kind of showed what this was, and that wasn't very appealing. And the critics certainly didn't embrace it. So I think once the critics, you know, had their way with it, you know. It just kind of entered very quietly and then was out of theaters within a month. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, by by Oscar Nom's time, by when award season was really kicked into gear, this was far in the distance. And yet it still held on just enough to get not just this nomination. Like it had a semi uh, uh, like more of a showing in any like, I mean, like in terms of actual nominations of precursors it just gets the globes and a chicago film critics thing but i mean it's still surprising that it made it this far i i genuinely don't really know how this ended up with this nomination like it's a very good performance but just based on the fact that this movie bombed so hard and isn't that good i i don't really know how this nomination happened well, I think he was certainly fifth. I think yes. that the other four were much more secure. And then when you look at the rest of the race, there, I mean, you have somebody like Chris O'Donnell in Sense of a Woman. He was probably sixth ultimately. But beyond that, there aren't, you know, particularly formidable contenders to speak of here. I mean, you have, you know, somebody like Samuel West who could have maybe ridden the Howard's End coattails a bit. Or maybe Sidney Pollack could have made the cut for Husbands and Wives, but Judy Davis was really getting most of the attention for that. So it wasn't exactly a crowded category, and I think that definitely benefited David Tamer. Had this been a more hectic, chaotic field, I think he easily could have slipped through the cracks. Oh, yeah, like kind of without a doubt. He's very lucky that like outside of those top four, there is kind of like, to the point that like on top of this being a good performance but like to the point that like from what i've read there was some talks of like robin williams in aladdin being Mm. a potential just on like like that was that didn't get a bafta nomination did he i don't think so no i think no i'm thinking shrek yeah eddie murphy for shrek yes yes (laughs) i feel like williams did get some sort of like he got a citation somewhere That's maybe what I'm thinking of. Yeah. And I mean, there were other contenders who were in the mix at various points that year. So like Tom Hanks in the League of Their Own got great reviews, but that was a summer release and it really kind of petered out during the award season. And I mean, I think that some folks thought maybe somebody like Danny DeVito in uh, Batman Returns could have maybe been something, but that didn't really come to fruition either. So in the end, there really weren't even 10 super you know, formidable people in this in this race. So definitely helped Pamer. And I think he probably edged out Chris O'Donnell. Um, and I'm glad he did because I don't think Chris O'Donnell's that great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a... 
I'm not the first to say Scent of a Woman isn't very good, but uh, yeah, that would have been a, a waste of a nomination. Yeah. Uh, what else about the actual movie? Like, I really didn't write down a lot of notes, uh, and a good chunk of the notes that I wrote is just, this is a bad movie. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wrote that multiple times. Um, there, there are some things that, that I do like here. I yeah. do love the opening of it. Um, yes. With all the the fatty, delicious looking foods, I think that's very well done and kind of sets the scene and is actually much better shot than the rest of the film. I, maybe I had a different cinematographer or something because it just is much um, more interestingly lit than the rest of the film, which just looks really dreary. Yeah. Um, I think that the moments from their childhood ring pretty true and authentic. And I think that the actress who plays their mom is terrific. Um, I'm not sure who the actress is and she doesn't really get a whole lot to do, but she's just very fun and energetic. And again, it's just like very convincing as the mom of these two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Those flashback scenes are, I would have liked to have seen more of that. Like you could have made this story one more sequential and it would have been more interesting like to see, Oh, these kids and they're funny and then they sort of break up the act and then they grow and they crystal like just following it there's no reason for it to be presented in the order that it is just like every once in a while there's a flashback really for no reason it just sort of takes me out of like okay we're doing this now and why and there's there's no real reason to it um but i did like those scenes and I even like the scenes that are like flashing back to Crystal's heyday when he has the TV show and they're rushing around backstage. And I thought that was interesting to some degree. I thought that was, I would have liked to have spent more time, really just I would have liked to have spent less time with the old man makeup Billy Crystal just because there's yeah. so much of that. And it's so much of the same thing over and over. And it's really yeah. just grating. And... This film reminds me an awful lot of a film that I'm not sure if you've covered yet, but you will be covering, which is For the Boys with Bette Midler, which actually came out right around this time. I and not, the, but, uh... the structure of it is eerily similar to this, kind of the flashing back and forth. And she also has awful makeup, uh, and as as does James James Con in it too. Oh boy, it's it's really kind of odd because Billy and Bet have have worked together um, on projects before, and these two films came out roughly roughly around the same time. Um, but both of these films are just like strangely dreary, considering the subjects and the old age makeup is awful. But they're also both of them overplaying in the younger scenes too. Um, yeah, it's it's odd. Um, but yeah, the, the the way the film is structured is just very haphazard. And it's odd because, you know, it's written by, in addition to Billy Crystal, Babalu Mandel and Lola Gans, who have written many great films. They did a league of their own and Parenthood, Splash. They're not like bad writers. They're very talented, which makes me think that perhaps Billy Crystal did the first draft of this and maybe they kind of made adjustments uh, yeah. this, this feels much more like a Billy Crystal script than it does a Mandel Gantz project. Yes, this is like, I mean, once again, Billy Crystal's fingerprints are all over this, just like mm. in terms of, I, I don't even really know in terms of what, just like there's something about this that feels very much 
attuned with the sensibilities of Billy Crystal and also with the like just the fact that he's a first time director just like the, the clashing of his style as a comedian as a very sort of like always smiling but always very bitter like that's just sort of the vibe of him in general is that he has a big smile and he's very angry all the time and that works in something like previous episode throw mama from the train um where that's what that character is supposed to be and we're supposed to dislike him to a degree like we still feel for him but like that's a a a shitty guy that's what the movie is about and in this case like he's a shitty guy that we're still like there's some part of this movie throughout there's like a through line of like yeah but you still kind of like him right and I don't, but like, it feels like the movie keeps nudging me of like, yeah, but you do though. He's still, <laughs> he's still got a little bit. You want to see him succeed. You want to see. Because the, I think, yeah. It's because Billy Crystal just idolized all these asshole comedians, comedians who were assholes in real life, but he adored them and worshiped them because he loved their personas on the screen. Yeah. And I think he thinks that that's how the audience is going to feel, but there's just, there's not a big enough audience for that and he just again doesn't convey this message successfully and i think you know you, you discussed throw off in the train i think that danny devito is a much more compelling and interesting filmmaker and has a clear very dark black comedy vision yeah across all of his films whereas billy crystal here he doesn't really have a signature as a director it's just kind of Sometimes there's a lot of frantic energy, but sometimes it's very dreary and sometimes it's very boring and sometimes they're screaming at each other and sometimes they're much more toned down. Sometimes it's really cloying and saccharine and manipulative and sometimes it's raunchy. It's just tonally all over the place. Yeah, it's just like. Yeah, that's exactly it is all over the place and as soon as you get a hang of one scene of like, okay, this is what they're going for. It switches to a completely different vibe, sometimes even mid scene. And there's just like, there's no like handrail to walk you through to like, keep you like grounded at any point. It's just a whirlwind of just Billy Crystal throwing everything at the wall. And it just mostly doesn't work. And like, everything goes on for so long too. all these scenes are like one that I wrote. One of the notes I actually did write down is the like extended flashback to uh, a buddy following up the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show yeah. is so long and so nothing of a bit. It's and like so poorly staged and unconvincing. Yeah. It's just like, and like the punchline on the scene doesn't even work because he says, why would you put me on after the Beatles? Like after the performance that made them the Beatles in America. Like why is he like that line doesn't track that line doesn't read. Uh, mm-hmm. And it just there's a lot of jokes in this that are in I assume intended to be jokes that just don't work. I, it's just not a very i i can't tell if this movie is trying to be a legitimate comedy or not yeah. which is 
damning to say about a Billy Crystal movie about a character that is a comedian. Yeah. I mean, there's an okay scene where he's lunching with Helen Hunt and Ron Silver and he's kind of improvising with some some lunch rolls and he's doing like yeah. Princess Leia and Carl Malden and all these famous people. And that's okay, but it's just kind of easy laughs. And there's like a disco Jew thing that he shows Helen yeah. Hunt. And that's mildly funny. But again, it's just kind of obvious and easy and just feels like stuff that he's done before. Um, yeah it's it's just it's rarely if ever i don't think it's ever laugh out loud funny sometimes she'll crack a smile a little bit but but that's about it i did have one part that i wrote down where it did actually make me laugh out loud one single joke uh which is the scene where jerry lewis shows up at the restaurant and they're having like a repartee back and forth of like that way of like they kind of hate each other and their jokes are in good fun but they're also kind of mean at, uh, at each other or whatever and there's a bit that crystal has where it's like oh i i, I just want to ask you about something jerry I, I just saw it in the news you and dean split up like uh, that's a funny like just bringing that up for no reason 36 years later he says or whatever just like yeah. it's a good joke of like i just heard I, I don't know. And maybe that's just because it's not even that good of a joke when you explain it. It's just surrounded by such low lows that like the fact that that was able to make me, you know, go, ha. Just, one, <laughs> it was one single like it was a single laugh uh, and still worth noting just because there weren't many others like that across this this nearly two hour movie. Yeah, it's it's just so long. Jeez. Yeah. Um, um I will say um Billy Crystal actually did a halfway decent uh TV movie later on as a director called 61 for HBO, um, which was actually pretty solid. Um so he, he he's capable of you know putting together something watchable, but in this case, just very, very shaky. <laughs> yeah. Not everyone is uh meant for every role so not just because mm. you're a good actor doesn't mean you're a good director and uh and uh, just because you worship all of these comedians doesn't mean you're necessarily the best person to make a movie inspired and in dedication of all of those great comedians yeah <laughs> i have like i really don't have any other notes um ron silver shows up in this to be not steven spielberg basically like yeah. he's very very clearly styled after like 70s 80s spielberg uh mm. in a way that's kind of, like in a way that's almost a joke like it's not a joke but it's almost a joke um yeah i think both he and helen hunts are, are fine but they're just very one-dimensional roles yeah not flushed out in the slightest it's just here's the thing the movie's doing now for a little bit and then not anymore we, of course, get the very obvious, predictable first meeting between the two of them where she hasn't heard of a single comedian and he blows up and he's so sick and yada, yada, yada. And yeah, I mean, you could just see that coming. Yeah. Um, and the film also has the the chutzpah to bring in Jerry Orbach and then never see him again. Yeah, I forgot he was. <laughs> I read his name in the intro and forgot he was in it. Uh, I do. There, There is another like half good joke uh in that scene with helen hunt where he he like his l closing line is like uh go take a shit with your clothes on 
that that's mm. a that's a pretty good insult. That <laughs> like for a character who is like defined throughout the movie by really bad, tacky, obvious insults that don't land. That one's good. That one I thought was like, yeah, that's there's there's a clever like it's succinct, but it, it's effective. Uh, yeah. And very few of his are. Um, mm. The makeup really is just terrible. I think it's okay on Pamer. It's serviceable on Pamer at the very yeah. least. But on Crystal and Julie Warner, it's just, I don't know yeah. what they thought they were doing. It, it doesn't work. It's pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's unsettling. And even Pamer, like where the makeup is good, but like the glasses he's in, he looks like a, like a, I'm trying to think of a specific cartoon character reference, but like, like Millhouse, where like, exactly. no, he looks you like your a glasses and uh, just, it, it feels as if like the entirety <laughs> of the glasses is just white space and then his pupils. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, kind of unnerving every once in a while they'll get a shot of it like oh why do you look like that why do they have you made up like this and Um, and yet he's over he's able to overcome the makeup issues in a way that crystal isn't and i think part of that is that i wrote down that like pamer is doing something with his voice as an old man like he's putting some sort of spin on his voice to be like i am a character that is old and billy crystal with all this makeup caked on his face, just sounds like 40-year-old Billy Crystal. And it's like a weird, uncanny valley thing of like, that's like, that's still Billy Crystal under there. You can't fool me. That's not an old man. That's just Billy Crystal. It really, like, on top of everything else, really takes you out of it. Because he's, like, weirdly not even trying to do... Like, I've seen Billy Crystal do things where he puts on an old man voice. He does it in this movie as the character doing an old man voice. But, like, Mm. he himself isn't doing anything to mask that he just sounds like 40-year-old Billy Crystal. It's just another level of, like, unnerving, uh, like, unreal quality to this in a way that everything just feels, like, sickly and dank and gross to watch for whatever reason just like visually i mean not everybody can bounce you know back and forth behind and in front of the camera successfully yeah and it just may have been a little too much for him on this because it just feels like an unsuccessful effort on both ends yeah yeah it's very ambitious for a directorial debut and to be playing this character at this many stages and just like other people have done it uh he does not he does not pull it off i mean i think this is an era where you have you know ron howard penny marshall rob reiner all of these actor turned directors and he's friendly with all of them so he must have thought i could do this too yeah but the DeVito difference of course well. is that like, yeah but besides devito penny marshall ron howard and rob reiner are not in front of the camera they can focus all of their energy behind the camera that's very true um and again, with Danny DeVito, he's an expert at doing one specific thing, which is dark comedy. And when he went outside of that comfort zone, he wasn't successful. Um, so I just don't think that Chris Oliver found a real signature as a director. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is the only one of his that I've seen as a director. Although now I want to look that up just because... Yeah, he did a decent romantic comedy with Deborah Winger a few years after this called Forget Paris, which oh, yeah. is 
is fine. It's, it's, I think, more satisfying than this. But, I mean, he just never really took off as a director. Yeah, it's uh, this, Forget Paris 61, and a movie from two years ago called Here Today, uh, oh, yeah. which has him and Tiffany Haddish. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> he's once again playing an aging comedy writer. Uh, yeah. For some reason, just in, in the like scope of weird, forgotten 90s movies starring him, for some reason I thought he had also directed My Giant. Uh, yeah. But I guess not. Yeah, I don't recall who directed that one. Let me pull that up just because now that's going to... A film I actually saw in theaters. Oh boy, <laughs> um, Michael Lehman, who did Heather's and uh, right, Airheads, right? Interesting. Right. Yes, he had a ton of bombs. Like Heather's was his high water mark. Yeah, and then it's <laughs> Hudson Hawk and yes. the Truth About Cats and Dogs and this. A, a, a good film, actually. Yeah, he did Forty um, Days and Forty Nights, mm. uh, Airheads. Uh, the that movie from. Was that last year? The the woman in the house across the street from the girl in the window. The like take off like, on the, all those the, like the Kristen Bell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The like take on all those post Gone Girl movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, speaking of Gone Girl, just because I didn't mention it in that episode, and because it's relevant to this, uh, another case of the star of or like an actor in the movie that we're talking about hosting the ceremony that year. Forgot to mention that Neil Patrick Harris hosted that year. Right. One last little thing to throw in. I can't remember. Did he have a lot? Okay. Did he have any line in his like monologue or whatever about Gone Girl? Because that's what I was meaning to check and then forgot to do. Not to my recollection, but I have not revisited that telecast since it aired. That's fair. Uh, I don't know. That's a tangent for another day uh, that (laughs) has already passed because I already did that episode. Um, Oh, one other thing that's like not an actual note about the movie, but like this. Buddy Young Jr. character is like a character that predates this movie by like almost 10 years, weirdly. Uh, Like it was, he came up, he like played him first in some like HBO special and then on SNL and then in another HBO special. And this was just like a character he had in his back pocket. And then on the set of City Slickers, he was like, I'm going to write a movie about that character. And I, (laughs) I don't know what the character could have been in those iterations for it to be like, here's a, a thing no one's ever done. A mean comedian. Yeah. I, 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 I'm very curious to see what that SNL thing, what the SNL version of this character is that became this movie. Well, I mean, I don't think anybody looks back on his SNL years and ever speaks of this as one of his more memorable characters, which should have been a warning sign to him and embarking on an entire feature film around him. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very odd. It's just very odd that this movie exists. You know? It's just, it's a quintessential blank check. He was just so hot and Columbia was willing to give him $43 million dollars to make a movie about a cranky old comedian. <laughs> yep. That amounts to absolutely nothing. Just like as a movie, as a box office take, just like as a cultural anything, like this movie does not exist. I had to pay $13 to find it anywhere online. And there's a Broadway musical of it 
from like very recently and you still can't find the movie anywhere if that's not a sign i don't know what is again somebody whether it's columbia or billy crystal himself has buried this movie purposely yeah is there anything else we want to say about the actual movie or do we want to move on to some oscar stuff i think move on to the oscars the nominees for best supporting actor are jay davidson in the crying game Gene Hackman in Unforgiven. Jack Nicholson in A Few Good Men. Al Pacino in Glengarry Glen Ross. David Paymer in Mr. Saturday Night. So like I said, this, like the IMDb awards page for this movie has, uh, more than I expected going into it. At the Golden Globes, Billy Crystal is nominated for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. Loses to Tim Robbins and The Player. Uh, also nominated David Paymer and Supporting Actor. Uh, that's the same Oscar lineup, except you have Chris O'Donnell uh, instead of Jay Davidson, which it is interesting that Paymer gets in and not... I don't think The Crying Game got like any Golden Globe nominations. Or, like, mm. if, if it did, it didn't get very many. I, I can't recall, but the Oscar campaign for The Crying Game was very, very strong. And that was just a very buzzy film. So it was it was not surprising when it landed across a lot of categories um, with the Oscars. It gets, oh, it gets only one Golden Globe nomination, and it's for Best Picture Drama. That's, yeah. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know that Davidson would serve us at BAFTA, but I think that may have been after the Oscars this year. That would make sense. Uh, the Chicago film critics, uh, uh, I wrote down her name, but I wrote it poorly and I don't remember it. Uh, Julie Warner uh, is nominated for Most Promising Actress. I didn't mm. write down who won, um, uh, but it was some. Like, I looked at the list and it's like a bunch of actresses that, like, went on to actually be something like Christina Ricci was nominated yeah. and uh, and now I can't remember any of the others, but it was like a lot of actresses that are like actresses we know today and then like three that we don't. Um, the Casting Society of America is nominated for best casting in a comedy, loses to a league of their own. That makes sense. Uh, the American Comedy Awards, Billy Crystal's nominated for Funniest Actor in a Motion Picture in a Leading Role. Uh, the Young Artist Awards is nominated for Best Young Actor Co-Starring in a Movie for the actor that plays the young version of Billy Crystal. Uh, and then, because I don't know what this group actually does, and the like description of their awards is very vague, the Political Film Society... This movie is nominated for the category of peace. Because <laughs> it just brought such peace in 1992. <laughs> I, like, the winner is Grand Canyon, and the other nominee is Last of the Mohicans. Like, <laughs> what do those three movies have in common? And it's not peace. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know what that means. Maybe because Stan and Buddy are, are at peace at the end. <laughs> I guess so, but like, that's a weird takeaway to have from this movie. 
<laughs> I just I, I, that's come up a few times because like it's not even like it's literally just listed as the ca- like the category of peace. They have the category of like democracy, the category of yep. expose. Like just I I don't understand it, but it's very fascinating. I should at <laughs> some point try to figure out what their whole deal is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the like quote unquote precursor run. A lot of stuff that doesn't really have any sort of bearing. It's just, you know, fun to to look at what the conversation was around this movie. Um, but yeah, we kind of litigated it earlier, but Pamer benefits from a top heavy bottom sort of wide open year for supporting actor. Uh yeah, I mean, it's a race where it's really Gene Hackman's to lose. I mean, yeah. he was such a commanding favorite in the Best Picture winner. Uh, I think there was the sentiment that he was kind of due again at this point. He had it once since French Connection, um, and he pretty much swept uh, the precursors for the most part. Um, I mean, Jack Nicholson did win it on National Board of Review, um, but I don't really think he was seen as much of a threat. I think that Hackman really kind of had this on lock for the most part. And I think it was such a strong year for Pacino overall that I think the supporting nom was pretty safe on that end. And then again, Jay Davidson, I mean, Crying Game was very buzzy, Best Picture nominee, very aggressive campaign. So no surprise there, which so really does leave that final slot. And, you know, I think Pamer, you know, just got in on, on Goodwill as a very well-liked character actor who got the role of his career. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, a lot of folks had worked with him. And again, there just weren't that many other formidable contenders in the in the race. Um, yeah. And again, I'm glad he got in there over Chris O'Donnell because I don't think that Chris O'Donnell needs to be an Oscar nominee. Yeah, <laughs> and because like we said, this is a good, like, I did not like this movie, but it's a very good performance. It's a very worthy nominee. Like, I'm not, I wouldn't take that away. I don't know if he would necessarily make my personal lineup, but like, I'm not going to take take away this nomination necessarily uh, just because, yeah, he's very good in it. And yeah, uh, th- lucky to be here. Uh, I-, I read some sort of interview or something, just like a-, a piece about like him at the time watching the nominations. Like he had read in the papers that like, oh, some people were predicting him to get that nomination. And he's the last one alphabetically. So they go through the other four names and he's like, it's not going to be me. And then it was him. <laughs> uh, and that's always nice that, that he got to have that moment of, of uh, surprise that he like, even though he was like watching with the knowledge that like, it could be me. It's still, I imagine was like, Oh, it actually was me. Yeah, That's weird. It's Nobody saw so- this movie. What, how did this happen? I know. I know. Good for him. <laughs> Might. He might make my personal top five. Um, he wouldn't be my winner, I think, of the Oscar nominees. I think that the Academy got it right. I think Gene Hackman is is the strongest of them. Um, and I think beyond that, I think I think Sidney Pollack is just brilliant in Husbands and Wives and probably would be my winner uh, overall here. Um, but yeah, n- not exactly the strongest year for Best Supporting Actor. I could definitely cobble together a solid top five um you know i mentioned tom hanks and league of their own i think danny devito and christopher walken are both terrific and batman returns 
Uh, I think that Bruce Willis is hilarious in Death Becomes Her. I think that would have been a great nomination that never would have happened. Yeah. Um, but I think I could definitely cobble together a pretty interesting uh, supporting actor lineup, even if this isn't the, the most crowded field. Yeah, you can throw in some names that are like way outside of what the Academy was going to go for. Like Anthony Hopkins and Dracula, I think is a lot of fun. Yes. Uh, uh, Ray Wise and Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me is maybe my winner out of this year just because that's such a, a striking and uh, a very, very intense performance. Uh, any of the rest of the cast of Glengarry Glen Ross could have yep. made it in here. Uh, that's also a previous episode that like we really got into that, but like pull a name out of a hat and you're not wrong to put them in there. Um, yeah. Something like Fred Gwynn and my cousin Vinny is a lot of fun. Would ne- yep. never in a million years going to happen, but like that's a fun performance that like, who, who knows maybe in a different, in a different world. Um, any of the cast of Reservoir Dogs. Like, yeah, there's a lot of names that you can throw out here, but they're just, they were in no way in the conversation. Uh, and if it helps Pamer get this nomination, it helps Pamer get the, the, the nomination. And uh, not going to complain about that. Yeah. Um, it is surprising to me that Alec Baldwin didn't really get any traction for Glenn Gary. Yeah. Because that, that feels like the sort of, very brief performance that would would pop up kind of you know um just you know the one scene oscar nominees yeah i don't think he got like any like citation for that anywhere from what i remember of doing that episode like pacino gets nominated pretty consistently throughout the season and lemon like wins a bunch of critics groups i think he wins at can as well or Whichever festival it played might have been Venice. I don't remember. Yeah, I can't um, recall. But if I recall correctly, they only pushed Lemon in the lead. Yes. And the rest in support. Oh. Yeah. And he should have won. That performance is like Great. an all-time favorite. It's yep. it's astounding. Um, once again, go back and listen to that Glengarry episode. It's a it's a good one. Um But yeah, no, it is kind of wild that Baldwin didn't get anything for that. It's it's strange. Um, what else? Like this doesn't feel like a movie that we can really talk about that many other categories for, just because like realistically, what was this going to? I mean, we can talk about best actor because Billy Crystal very clearly wanted to get a nomination. Like, yeah, this is a performance that is really going for it in terms of. This is an Academy caliber performance. It's emotional. It's funny. And then, like, you look at who actually won this year, and uh, it's not too far off. It, it's not know. all God. that if, different of, like, a, a bumbling, sort of, like, crazy old weirdo that's yeah. uh, mean. I know we've, we've largely been trashing Billy Crystal this podcast, but I think he's still better than Al Pacino in Central Woman, honestly. I don't know if I would go that far, but like <laughs> they are on similar playing fields. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he was particularly close. I think that oh, no. I think Tom Cruise was probably pretty high up there, may have been sixth. Um, yeah. obviously Tim Robbins and the player, but I, I wonder if there was some possible 
not really vote splitting, but can they decide between that and Bob Roberts? I almost think having two leading comic turns maybe hurt him a little bit. Especially um, like leading comic turns where he's like an asshole or he's like playing right. a terrible person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have something like um, Nick Nolte and Lorenzo's oil, maybe just because he was a nominee the prior year. Yeah. And on the radar i do think jack lemon probably came fairly close just yeah, because oh, like for, for i think sure. he won like national board of review and maybe also new york or something mm. i know he won at least one of the major critics and at whichever festival the movie played at that now i can't remember mm. um and also it's jack lemon giving that performance yep. like so often it's just about like the campaigning and the precursors but like sometimes you just have a performance that like the strength of the performance is enough to have it in the conversation and i don't think that he'd been nominated since tribute yeah tribute is his last nomination yeah like, of his career yeah it's very very strange um yeah i do wonder if billy crystal like how close he was just in terms of like is he like in the like top 15 top 20 no probably I, yeah. maybe around 15 um maybe even a little bit close to 10 but i don't think he was actually in the top 10 i do think him hosting the awards may have encouraged some people to be like you know wouldn't it be cool if he was also a nominee this year wouldn't that be fun but i feel like I that happened with him a lot him yeah. making movies to be like well what if what if i got nominated too how about <laughs> but i question just how many actually did that um, yeah, my gut says Tom Cruise is probably six. I would believe that, just because it's a Best Picture nominee, and because Glenn Gary Glenn Ross kind of underperforms overall in the yeah. season, and the player um, as well, like ends up yeah. with just no, it doesn't end up with just the director nomination. I'm thinking shortcuts. It gets a mm. screenplay nomination as well. I think something yes, like that. Effort adapted. Yeah. Um. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's an interesting best actor year, and I won't be able to get to talk about it on this show. I'm pretty sure, right? I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but no, because uh, Malcolm X gets costumes, I believe, yes. and then Crying Game Unforgiven, and then Chaplin, I think, is in at least one of the crafts categories. Yeah, uh, I do want to talk about, even though I haven't seen. A, a good chunk of these movies um the original screenplay lineup in terms of like what else was on the outskirts of that category seems like really bare bones just in you know the oscar circles that we travel in of like who was sixth place for whatever category uh i i remember that this original screenplay year is like outside of these five really really kind of stark in terms mm. of what the academy could have legitimately considered here like let me pull up the um the twitter oscar polls uh sixth <laughs> place just because i i'm trying to remember what was even mentioned there yeah i mean i suppose basic instinct could have but joe astor house was so controversial yeah um yeah, I can't think yeah. offhand. It's like 
my cousin Vinny, like, I don't think it got any sort of citation, actually, mm. but just because it gets the the acting win. Yeah, none of these that are uh, mentioned in the 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 polls here have any actual precursor attention. It's it's like Bob Roberts, Reservoir Dogs, My Cousin Vinny, Hoffa, Basic Instinct. Like, mm. we, weird, weird year for original screenplay. And yeah. I could maybe see a case where this manages to sneak in just in terms of like, well, what else are they going to go for? Yeah, maybe. It's a comedy. It's about the industry. It's supposed to be funny. There's layers to it. It wouldn't be good. Yeah. It wouldn't be a good nomination. But I like, could fathom Hoffa being close because it's a David Mamet script. Yeah. Um, and that was a big wannabe Oscar contender. And it did get a couple nominations. But I think with my cousin Vinny is really the whole Oscar campaign for that was for Marissa Tomei. It really yeah. wasn't otherwise. So I'm not sure how high up that really was. I wonder if it might have been something like Bob Roberts just because you had like Dave and Bullworth and a lot of those like political comedy I satires getting screenplay. I mean, you have Lorenzo Zoyle and Passion Fish, which I think are basically just kind of like riding the coattails of their nominated performances. Um, Unforgiven, obviously the best picture winner. And then Woody Allen was nominated for basically everything in this era. So that was yeah. no surprise. Um, yeah, not a particularly robust category. Yeah. Uh, I I want to look at the makeup uh nominees for this year just because I'm like, pretty sure it was actually on the short list. I wouldn't mistaken. be surprised because like there have been some very bad makeup nominees that got nominated on the basis of well you had a lot of makeup yeah and uh so what do we have here Dracula wins yeah very good Batman Returns also very good yeah Alpha which I haven't seen but I've seen pictures of yeah doesn't look like the the best makeup it's uh, not it's yeah. it's pretty distracting uh but not as bad yeah. mr saturday night i yeah th- this seems like it could have been one of those who like well we need a third one flip a coin yeah. between hoffa and mr saturday night and this just yeah. as easily could have been a movie we're not talking about here easily because of a makeup nomination yeah very strange i'm surprised chaplin's not in there yeah, it, there's always like a few like even something like Howard's End feels like it's not mm. as showy as some of those, but like it's still a period piece with a lot of hairstyling or even or, toys. Oh, is, yeah, really well in the crafts. Yeah, yeah, that's one that like I also haven't seen, but I've seen pictures of, and there is a lot of makeup in that one. Oh yeah, yeah. I um for whatever reason the the page for best makeup lists a lot of the other movies that made the shortlist, but that stops off after 19 or like before 1999. So I, Mm. I can't find what actually was on that shortlist for this year, but uh, I believe I wouldn't be surprised if this made it just in terms of, well, what else? Maybe Unforgiven. There's probably something period in that. Yeah. Is there anything else Oscar adjacent even to talk about about this movie? Uh, I mean, I think that 
the original score by Mark Shaman is is fine. Um, and I could have seen him on a potential shortlist, but um, yeah, yeah. I don't it's, have anything a... else to say about that. Just because, like, by the end of the movie, it get it's it's a it's a, a well composed score, but it's very poorly mm. used in the movie. Just because you have what feels like the same sentimental slow track playing under every single one of those Billy Crystal monologues of, "Hey, I'm sorry I was mean to you. It's who I am. I'm gonna be mean to you some more. Live with it. But I'm old and I I regret it now." Yeah. Hey. Yeah, it's a, uh, and you have this. It does genuinely feel like the same music playing under every one of those, and it gets, it gets us to be a bit much. Yeah, yeah, right. I hear you. I, I think, I think, had they split up the original score into dramas and comedies like they did for a portion of the '90s, I could have seen Mark Shaman. In there. Yes, yeah, because that... he he got in several times. He got in for like the first Wives Club and I think a couple other films that otherwise he wouldn't have made the cut for. Uh, so I can yeah. fathom that. Yeah. Oh, also back to just because I saw it also on the uh, Wikipedia page. What about Death Becomes Her for makeup? Like, yeah, that, that could have been something. I don't for know. Sure. Uh, but yeah, no, I I have nothing else to say here. Uh, do you want to uh, move on to some closing thoughts then? Yeah. All right. Uh, can't imagine what our answers are going to be here. Uh, in your fantasy world where you get to pick all of the Oscar nominations, what nominations would you have given to Mr. Saturday Night? Um, again, he, he may, may make my cut for Best Supporting Actor. He might be in my top five. Um, so I'm totally down for a David Paymer nomination. Beyond that, I can't really give this much of anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, uh, it's not like a like you said, not a surefire thing that like Paymer has to be in there, but like, I'm I'm not gonna kick him out. Is it's not a a nomination that I have any qualms with. I'm happy to keep him here just for the sake of it, because uh, it is a very good uh, performance. And then other than that, no, uh, like not even in consideration. This is a uh, th- I didn't like this movie. I, this is a bad movie. This is one of the the worst movies I've covered so far. Wow. Uh, did not have a good time with it, uh, but I had a good time talking about it with you. So uh, thank you so yeah. much for coming on once again. Great time. Oh, it's my guys. my pleasure. Had a great time. And just looking over their actual best supporting actor lineup, I think Pamer probably ranks maybe third for me among the Oscar nominees, which is bad. Yeah. Yeah. I've, what is your ranking now? I'm curious. I think I would probably go Hackman, Pacino, Pamer, Davidson, Nicholson. Not bad. Yeah, these are all like good performances. I don't I don't have any issues with any of the five. Uh I probably I, I don't know what my ranking would be. Probably something similar to that, honestly. Maybe switching Nicholson and Davidson, just because mm. it's also been a while since I've seen the crying game. I think from when I did the Glengarry episode, but I like those other movies stick more in my head than that movie uh, does necessarily. But yeah, no, Pamer better than I expected. Just knowing the reputation of the movie not being that great. I'm uh, uh, he rose above it and good for him. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Thank you again for coming on. Uh, uh, Do you have uh, where can people find you and your stuff? So I'm on Twitter as long as it's still 
you know, working and not crashing. <laughs> yeah, we're recording uh, this at, a week in advance, so truly, who knows? Uh, at Awards Connect, uh, I'm a writer over at Awards Watch, and I am also, uh, my blog is theawardsconnection.com. Right on. Yeah, go check out all that stuff. Uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Letterboxd at Lone Acting Noms and on Instagram at The Lone Acting Nominees. That'll be it for this episode. Thank you for listening.